You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. Matt Prame, Eric Scopel on the show. No Jared Mack today. He's got uh, some personal stuff he's dealing with. All good, though, there. Um, but... Eric, let's dive into this week because it's kind of our first look at Cal. It's our first opportunity to reflect on what we heard from Dan Lanning Monday. Uh, We've also been able to talk with some offensive players to get some perspective on Cal's defense. Um, It's a wide range of of subjects to talk about here. Um, But first and foremost, let's talk about injuries because there was one notable one that happened Against Air, against UCLA, that could have some kind of impact for Oregon uh, on Saturday against Cal. Yeah, reverse. Uh, sorry, reserve defensive tackle Taki Taimani left in the fourth quarter against UCLA. Sounds like it's an ankle injury. Landing said after, uh, on, I should say on Monday, he got a little dinged up with his ankle. I think he's going to be able to play Saturday. We'll see. Um, but then today at practice, Taki wasn't there. Um, or at least wasn't there for the part we were at. So I think it's one thing to monitor. He's not a starter, but he does play a lot of snaps. I was looking at the snap chart um, online. I think he's been playing about 30-plus snaps per game, so probably about 45 50% of the plays most weeks. So this is a guy who plays quite a bit. He's one of their better run defenders, came over from Washington. Um, hasn't made huge impact statistically, but I think if you go watch kind of his impact on rundowns, certainly a capable player, but I kind of think you're uncertain about his availability. Still no news on uh, Stephen Jones. Hasn't been at practice really for about six weeks now. Don't think that changes. He wasn't there on Tuesday. Um, and there's not really a, a whole lot else. We can do the Brian Cardwell rigor morale if we want. He was doing stuff. He has been doing the same stuff. And then he wasn't, as far as we could tell, available um, on Saturday against UCLA. I don't know if that'll change. I'll be, I'll be honestly surprised if he travels because he didn't make the last trip down to Tucson. Yeah. I think the impact of Taki here puts a lot of stress on Casey Rogers and Jordan Riley, two guys that have played a lot. They've started for Oregon along the defensive line this season. Um, but Taki, Oregon went into the season saying, hey, at defensive tackle, we are absolutely loaded from a depth perspective. We've got Popo Amave back. We've, we've added uh, Taki into the mix. who may even push him. And then on – all of a sudden, Jordan Riley showed up, and he's 
pushed both of those guys to the point where he's starting. And now, you know, Popo got hurt at the beginning of the year, hasn't played all, all season. Now Taki is hurt. And it's kind of a scenario of, okay, Jordan Riley, like we weren't really expecting you to have to play the entirety of the game, but he's not going to, but he's kind of have to play a lot more than he's had to play previously. If talk can't give it a go, this is going to be an interesting push, you know, shuffling of the roster, if you will. On uh, on Tuesday, we should know, and this isn't always a great indication of the rotation, but Keanu Williams, who's a, I think a redshirt freshman was the player who stepped into the same role during some of the the blocking drills that, we usually see Taki in, so Keanu might be the guy to kind of see a push up. You might also see some players rotate inside more. Maybe maybe Keon Ware Hudson, who's been playing um, a little more defensive tackle, moves inside to nose tackle. Maybe we see Doralis move in a little bit. I'm sort of speculating on the last ones. Um, but I think Keanu Williams, if there's a guy who gets elevated, would be the first one. And then the next one would be Surmels, a true freshman. If Taki can't go and they know that going into the trip, I wouldn't be surprised if Mel's makes his first road trip. He hasn't traveled yeah. since since the Atlanta game where you had the full capacity. But in Pac-12, you are limited to, I think, about 75 players traveling. I wouldn't be surprised if Mel's is one of the guys who, who they bring out there. And this might be one of the reasons why you don't play a Sir Mel's or a Ben Roberts as well, who's also a defensive tackle. In the Eastern Washington game, I can't remember if they played in that game or not, but I'm just throwing it out there as as an example. They um, did. Or an Arizona game where you could get some of these, but is it worth throwing them out there just for limited snaps or saving them when you know injuries are going to happen? And if it happens at this position group, you've got a guy available who can maybe give you 15, 25 snaps and he doesn't necessarily burn a redshirt year because he's got his full allotment of four games to play still available. Defensive line is really the only position right now where you've got some depth concerns because we should know two other players we thought would factor into this, Suave Poti and uh, Michael FAAC, um, have both been out since fall camp with their own ankle injuries. I think we're seeing both of them get close. Like they both been, we'd seen them around practice the last couple of weeks in walking boots. We saw them this most recent day, not in walking boots. They weren't practicing, but I kind of think that's an indication that maybe, maybe by the time you get to that home stretch against, and I'm not sure they'll play too much because they missed so much time anyway. But if things get really dire, you might see those two's name kind of pop up, maybe come the Utah, the Washington weekend somewhere in there. All right, now let's shift gears here a little bit um, to what what we've learned from Dan Lanning, what we've learned from Bo Nix. Um, just about what happened in the UCLA game. I, I think you're going to have a story up on DuckTerritory.com about this. Um, it's probably something most average fans out there won't really remember from the UCLA game, but it was Oregon's final drive against the Bruins, and it was an impressive showing of A, clock management, the coaching staff knowing the clock management, and the quarterback understanding when to rip off plays, when not to. And even we should even throw in the running backs. I think it was Noah Whittington who had an opportunity to score probably and chose not to, to continue to run the clock out. Um, this is just another example, I think, of Oregon's coaching staff, Oregon's program, showing improved ability of knowing how to finish off games without giving up a big play or giving the team an opportunity to have an opportunity to make a play. 
Yeah, Dan was gave a lot of credit to Whittington. You're right. He was the player who kind of took a, a like an almost a baseball slide there when he had yeah. some space to keep going. And he made the point, and I don't know if he was referencing it directly, but he said even in the NFL you see situations where guys score touchdowns, you end up giving the ball back, and then kind of you open, I think he said, Pandora's box, and you don't know what happens. And I think it was one of the early games of the season where the Jets and the Browns and Nick Chubb scores a touchdown with about a minute and a half, two minutes to go to go up two scores. And you think, oh, who cares? He scored the touchdown. Good. That puts the game away. Jets score a long touchdown pass, get an onside score at the end of regulation and suddenly pull out the victory when they were down two scores. And Oregon was up, would have been up three scores with a touchdown there with about four minutes. Probably wouldn't have cost them the game. But the foresight of, hey, if we can just kill the clock and not give them any chance for something crazy to go down. This is the best way to it. And I was impressed with the nuance in which, and again, as Matt said, um, I'm going to have a story up on Duck Territory, maybe as soon as I mean, you listen to this podcast in more depth. But Dan really gave a long kind of detailed answer to kind of what went behind the decision-making there. I know we're getting kind of between the weeds here, but when you look at an Oregon program that has had issues with clock management, especially the most previous coaching staff, I think it's encouraging to see this staff and the way they think things through. And I think this is a point we made at the right around the bye week or maybe a little before about like, do we think Dan's better? He hasn't really had enough opportunities to show off his clock management stuff. This is an example of the foresight that goes into it of, Hey, we want our players to slide here. We don't need them to score. We're going to take three knees. He even said the knees needed to, should have been slower kneels because you actually wanted to kill a little bit more time. Because as you remember, the, the game ends with, Bo Nix running back about 20 yards and then heaving the ball as far as he can in the air to kill the rest of the clock. And it's something that Nick says they practice either Thursday or Friday of every week, this kind of scenario of taking the knees and then throwing what's called an air ball. Uh, I never heard that term before. Usually it's a basketball reference to when you don't hit the, <laughs> rim, the rim on a shot. But according to Dan, that's what you call it. And it, and it makes sense, right? They throw that they get as much air under the ball as possible. It's basically like the equivalent of a punt. And, uh, you know, Dan said usually won about eight to 10 seconds, I think, in that scenario. They had 13, so he had to run a little bit further. But um, there's just a lot more nuance and kind of thought behind how to end a game here than I don't want to be too critical of comparing and contrasting the previous staff. But I just think that you have to appreciate having seen some games in the past by the other staffs kind of not go perfectly and not always cost you games, but sometimes cost you some games. There's clearly a ton of kind of focus on the minute details, which sometimes get lost. I just thought it was telling how in-depth Dan went into it. And then his explanation makes a ton of sense for kind of the thought process, which again speaks to this is a very smart cerebral head coach who is thinking through every single detail here. He's not leaving it up to, to chance. Yeah. And that's, look, this is what we wanted to see. These were the answers we were hoping, looking to find when these big games showed up. Obviously, week one, they got out coached, they got outclassed, and the response from week one to week two, and from week two to week three, and down down the season it goes, they've gotten better. The staff has identified problems, they've located the the, the solutions, and then they've implemented them in practice, and we see the results on the field. This is one in which there really wasn't a way to prepare or to see you know this play out in an end of game scenario until it kind of magically shows up. And the first time we see we saw Oregon get in a position where, hey, we need to run the clock out. We don't want to run. We don't want to give UCLA an opportunity for something crazy to happen. And like you said, as Dan said, Pandora's box gets opened. They ran it perfectly. It was, I mean, yes, they, could they have done it better? Sure. Dan says they did. They could have. 
but that's really splitting hairs. And I think that's, you know, why Dan is probably in the role that he's in is because he's a perfectionist and he doesn't take 90, 95% as good enough. He wants that 5% to come his way as well. Um, but those are signs of good coaches where they do something a level performance wise, but they go back, they review the film and yeah, we did this good, but we could do it even better. We can get even better here. That's a similar trait we've seen with Dana Altman. That's a similar trait we've seen with Kelly Graves. And it's a trait that's starting to emerge, which should give Duck fans a lot of excitement if they didn't have any already, just about this Dan Lanning staff who continues to show that they're more than just recruiters, uh, which a lot of the rival fan bases in the conference kind of labeled the staff as when they were hired back in December and January. Yeah, I think you have to love it. And you don't know when another opportunity to – maybe show off more clock management skills will pop up. But I think there were a lot of things that stood out from this game from a coaching perspective, the onside kick, the choices to go for it on, on three different fourth downs, two in your own territory. Um, but I think this one kind of gets lost a little bit as it should, because it didn't end up determining the outcome, but it's yeah. just the foresight to kind of think through these details and make sure you make the right decisions, even though, Again, they were going to win this game, I think, regardless of if they, if Noah Whittington scores or if they continue to try to score or if they kicked a field goal or, or whatever they chose to do. But clearly, the, just the foresight to try to think through all this stuff, I think, is impressive, especially, again, for a young coach who's relatively unproven. And like, this is the first situation he's ever had where he's had to manage an end-of-game situation with a lead like that. You think about the other games have all been you're up by a ton of points. You don't have to worry about it. Or the Washington State game where you score a touchdown with your – you know, your, your last possession on offense, your last play is a touchdown to take the lead. So you don't even have an opportunity to do something like this, really. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive into some Cal discussion because we did get an early look at the Cal Bears. Eric's got a couple stories up looking at them. We've heard some comments from Dan as well. Coming up next here on the Odds Not Us podcast. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, Oregon goes on the road. A rare, very, I don't know if you saw this tweet, Eric. Uh, I sent out yesterday. But a very, very rare midday game at Cal. Do you know the last time Oregon played at Cal and the game was before 4.30 p.m.? I have not seen your tweet. Um, I'll say 2000 and – that would have to be an even year. 2002. 
Very close. You're you're a little ways back. 2008. And if you're a Duck fan and you remember that game, that is when uh, like a monsoon hit Memorial Stadium and the field was literally drenched. The Pac-12 uh, acknowledged the ball was, you know, the field conditions were so wet that they eliminated the 12 ball rule because they needed more balls to, to be out there to keep them dry uh, on the, on the playing field, Oregon lost. I think it was a game where Jeremiah Mazzoli was like four of 15 for mm. 50 yards passing. And it wasn't because he was inaccurate. It was because he literally couldn't grip a football. Um, that's the last time Morgan played at Cal and played an afternoon game, which we will have no rain in the forecast. Thank God. Uh, should be good conditions at Cal, but this is a team that comes in, Eric, um, They've lost three in a row. They're three and four on the season. It was a year in which they started two and zero. Oh. Um, they maybe got screwed out of a win at Notre Dame. They then came back, beat Arizona. That's the Jaden Ott game when he ran for a hundred thousand yards or whatever it was in that one. But then they've lost three in a row. They lost to Washington State nine to twenty eight. They lost to Colorado, which is just inexcusable. 20 to 13. And then this past weekend, they lost to Washington at home, 28 to 21. Um, Dan's comments defensively is they don't really make any mistakes. They're maybe the well, most well-coached team defensively. Um, they don't give up explosion plays. And, you know, my takeaways from that is, you know, Dan's being complimentary, but I don't know if this is a team that if you show up and you play your game, scares you all that much if you don't show up and play at a high level then yes this team has the capabilities of of coming up and, and biting you uh but if, if you play like you should you should win this game it's a weird opponent because you think of how cal plays games and they've been playing because oregon has played these last three games with cal and oregon have been really close but that's because both head coaches wanted to play ball security, kind of low scoring, went at the line of scrimmage, defensive kind of minded games that were won in the mid 20s. Like the last three games in this series were all relatively low scoring games. Last year's game was really close. I was actually, I had forgotten until Dan kind of reminded us at the press conference that last year's game ended on a defensive stand by Oregon's defense, or else that game might have gone to overtime. Um, but this is a different setup here because Oregon's offense, I think, is so much more dynamic. We have to note, I don't know if you recognize this, Matt, Cal is now the worst pass defense in the conference. It's no longer Colorado. It's no longer Oregon. And it's a defense that has given up a lot of yards to a lot of teams, most recently 375 through the air to Washington. And Washington is an offense that throws the ball a lot. A lot. But this is a remember like three or four years ago, Cal just had incredible defensive backs. And it was a yep. defense that was like they sent all these guys to the NFL. It was you looked at the all conference teams and, and there were always a couple of Cal defensive backs on it. It felt like that's no longer the case. They've got some good young players. Um, Irby is one of the best young true freshman corners in the country. I think there was a couple of like midseason true freshman all American teams he was on. But like this is not exactly what you're used to seeing from California defensively. And I look at the way Oregon is performing right now, and I'm skeptical if they can keep Oregon. Like, I would probably be a little bit surprised if they're the first team to hold Oregon below 40 points during this run, like based upon what they've done. I'm not saying 
I mean, they held Washington to 28, which is relatively impressive. Obviously, Washington State and uh, and Colorado didn't go off and have big 40-point games. But I don't necessarily... 31's the highest they've allowed all year. Right, yeah. This is not. This is a pretty good defense, but I don't know if you feel like looking at them on paper, this is one that's going to completely eliminate things. And then you go, does Cal have the offense to keep pace? And Cal has some guys that are young SEAL players that are kind of exciting. Like you mentioned Jaden Knott, true freshman, one-time Oregon commitment. He ran for 278 yards in that win over Arizona about a month ago. Ever since, he's been averaging about 50 yards per game. They also have some outside receivers that were high four-star recruits. J. Michael Sturdivant uh, was like a top 150 guy. He's the lead's, team's leading receiver. I don't know what's going on with Jeremiah Hunter. He didn't play against Washington. Sounds like he's dealing with an injury. So they've got some – but if he plays, that's another guy to know. But they've got some guys who are young skill guys. But, again, you look at the stats and the data here, and it's – one of the kind of back-end offenses. They average 23 points per game. It's 11th in the Pac-12 in scoring offense. So I guess I'm, what I'm trying to say here is it, this doesn't feel like a Cal defense that is quite on par with what Cal defenses have been historically, or at least recently under Justin Wilcox. And then offensively, it feels kind of like a similar situation here with Cal where they're probably not going to get to 40 points in this game. So if Oregon can get to 40, I don't see it necessarily being one that they're having to sweat late. And, and frankly, you hope it's not because this is not a great Cal team. I mean, the highest they've scored is 49. That's what Oregon's averaging <laughs> right now is 49 points. And who was the um, opponent? Who was the opponent in that one? Arizona. They didn't play very good. I mean, yeah. it's Arizona's a terrible defense. Um, you know, they've only hit over 30 one other time, and that was against UC Davis when they scored 34 week one. So I almost feel like if Oregon can get to 22 points, you know, they're going to be in a really good position because it's 21, 13, nine, 17, 20. Those are their other games. And you're right. They've got skill guys at the receiver spots um, that are young. And this feels like Justin Wilcox's issue every single year. They're always like, they're stuck in that we're one year away from being a good team or we're a year and a half away from being a good team. But then some guys depart, some guys retire, some guys deal with some kind of injury and they can never really get past that one year. We're one more year away from being a really good team. And for me, I I look at this Oregon game this weekend, much like we talked about Arizona where it was, hey, if you're as good as we think you are, this is a, a they're not a, a middle of the road team, but they're not a bottom seller either. But you should make them look like a bottom seller team. And you should make them look like a cream puff, a, a, a school that you have homecoming on where you can throw up the big scoreboard and don't have to worry about a loss. Um, I'll be really curious to see how this team responds. They've, they're on a six-game win, six winning streak for Oregon. They've won some really big games. We really haven't seen a letdown game yet beyond, I guess, maybe week one. Um, is there going to be a letdown game? I mean, this Maybe this is that trap game, you know, a, a defense that does well against you on the road. I don't know. We're talking like it. We're, we're talking like we're overlooking them a little bit. I'm noticing, which I think is sort of fair. 
because it's not been a really good run from Cal. I also think we've got we'll have Jackson Moore on a couple of days here to talk about Cal a little bit more. Like this is a team that has given Oregon a really hard time, you know, and you know, I, so you have to acknowledge that. And games in Berkeley, that's not going to be a crazy environment. Like if you watch the Washington Cal game, that was not a full stadium. It was kind of an underwhelming. There might be more Oregon fans there this weekend. There probably will be a good amount of Oregon fans down there. I think Oregon has some momentum. There are a decent amount of Oregon fans in that Bay Area. I, you know, uh, we haven't talked to the quarterback, Jack Plummer, like very solid quarterback, doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Like I, Cal just feels, I, I, this is going to sound mean, and it probably is, Lomi. If you just, they're just kind of a bit of a blah team in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Like they don't have numbers on either side of the ball that really jump out in a positive way. Um, you know, you thought about those Cal teams with the great secondaries. Obviously, they're really good on pass defense, and they force a lot of turnovers. This Cal team is kind of like middle of the road in terms of forcing turnovers in the conference this year. Um, they've, they've forced uh, a couple per game, you know, a couple different times, but it's not it's not a group that really uh, is going to take the ball away. And so I think if you're if you're Oregon, you really just want to make sure you, you, you bring your, your best. And um, – I'll be curious to kind of see where everybody's heads at because this is a game along with the Colorado game that you could overlook in theory. You've got the big games at home to end the season. You just came off this big win. I think you do have to recognize, and again, I think we're probably falling into it ourselves talking through this preview because I, I haven't been particularly impressed with Cal and what I've seen this year. They do have a little fight in them. I think Washington's a lot better team probably than Cal is, and that game came down to the wire. Cal had a couple yep. opportunities to – to maybe tie it and force overtime, weren't able to do it. Um, again, Plummer, it doesn't have a huge arm, not super athletic as a runner or anything, but is is a capable person in terms of distributing the football. They've got some young skill guys that are pretty enticing, but they're also dealing with some injuries right now. And I just kind of, I'm just, I don't know exactly what this Cal team is because I had felt like there was some early season stuff that got you encouraged. Like they kind of put it on this Arizona team that we were worried Oregon might have a hard time with in Tucson. They very nearly beat Notre Dame on the road, but then they've gone here three straight losses. And I'm not sure how good any of those teams, I mean, Washington state gave Oregon a really hard time and Washington state and Cal played a fairly competitive game for about three quarters. And then Washington state pulled away. Losing to Colorado is a game that makes anybody shake your head because Colorado is a team. I think everybody after they made the coaching change, kind of was a question, would they win a game all season? And to win that game, to lose in overtime if you're Cal, that's tough. And the Washington game was like fairly encouraging from the perspective of like, hey, at least they were really competitive. But it's a game, a team that's on a three-game losing streak. And if it's the team that knocks off Oregon and kind of ends what's been a really, I think, a pretty dang spectacular turnaround, that would be very disappointing. I don't know what – we haven't spoken much about Jaden not yet. And – He's probably the odds-on favorite right now to win the Freshman of the Year award in the conference offensively, I would think. Um, he's still in the top five in the conference in rushing yards per game. Um, total yards, he's fourth still at 618. But, Eric, you kind of go back and you look at his game logs – they're starting to be very heavy on just two or three games in particular. And we talked a little bit about this with like CJ Verdell during his career where, yeah, he'd run for a thousand yards, but like 70% of it would come from like four games. And the other stuff was all just kind of meh. 
And you look at Ott's first seven games of the year. On paper, they look good. 618, 103 yard, 103 attempts, five touchdowns. But looking at the games, he ran for 104 week one against UC Davis. He went for 274 uh, against Arizona on just 19 carries and three touchdowns. And then against Washington State the next week, he went for 70 and a touchdown. But Washington last week, who doesn't have a very good defense, just 38 yards, 2.71 yards per carry against Colorado. Another team whose defense is even worse is putrid. They held him to 47 yards on 16 carries, no touchdowns. Against Notre Dame, he had just 33 yards. Three games this season, he's averaged less than three yards a carry. He's talented, but again, it's, it's like what you were saying. Like, they're good, but he's also not great. I don't really know what to make of him now. Like, he's a, he's a weapon you have to know about, but is he a guy that can rise above the talent around him and lift the waters, if you will, of the, of those players to make them better too? I don't know. I, I don't know. Is this a good get right week for Oregon's defense? Do they put up a really good performance and, and maybe yeah. prove some? Because when we, we talked about it on our last show, like Oregon's defense, definite work in progress. A lot of things you don't, you aren't thrilled with. Um, how does Oregon, how, do, how much is Cal able to play to the weaknesses of Oregon, which is attacking those linebackers and coverage? which is, um, you know, maybe testing some stuff on the outside, which I think Oregon's been a little better at of late, it, which is getting the ball in space and screen plays, it, which is maybe getting Odd out in space a little bit and seeing what yeah. he can do. I mean, Odd is a player who, you, know, you mentioned the rushing splits. You have to also have to acknowledge he's one of the more active pass catchers in the conference as a Very running back. Very true. Very true. 21 receptions and two touchdowns through seven games. So they're getting him the ball in a lot of different ways. I, I just wonder, like, Will this be a game where we come away saying, okay, well, there's some progress, and but could that all ultimately be a little bit of fool's gold because it's it's Cal, it's not UCLA, it's not Washington, it's not Utah, it's not some of these better offenses they're going to face or have faced. So um, this is this is an interesting game. I, I I'm early on in the week feeling rather confident. I will probably spend quite a bit more time in the next 48 hours figuring you know going through some of the watching a little bit more of, of them and, and reading up a little bit more on some of the injury stuff to see where they're at talking to jackson more on our show on thursday to get a better feel but i think if you're oregon you should be confident and the two score vegas line feels pretty appropriate i don't even know has it moved i think it opened at 11 but i think it might have moved it opened the 12 um let me check it really quickly here but it opened at 12 and stayed there just for a little bit, which was like surprising. But this is why there's a lot of people in Las Vegas that work for casinos that have really big houses because it felt like, you know, they, they know something here. Maybe um, I'm trying to find the game. There it is. It's currently now it opened at 12 points, Eric. It has jumped significantly. Do you want to guess? Uh, 15 and a half. More. 17? Yes. It is a 17-point game right now in favor of Oregon, and the over is at 58. So they're not expecting a strong showing offensively, as they should, from, from Cal. 17 feels more in line with what I feel like this game could end up with, so I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I haven't thought about my score prediction, but yeah, when the line out. first came out and it was 12, it was like, oh, they're covering that easy. 17? That's, that's – 
that's a big ask. We'll see. 17 could also, is also feels like a big ask because Cal historically does play a little bit of ball control, low-scoring games. Yep. And if you look at the way Oregon has – not that they've necessarily finished games poorly, but they've put reserves in the game and have kind of seen leads diminish. Even against UCLA, it wasn't reserves, but UCLA scores a touchdown late. Like feels like Oregon, most of these games, if you were to look at the final margin, you'd say, well, it was actually more like a 26-point game, even though the final score says you know 15 or whatever. That's also a good point about their, their ball security and how slow they play the football game. We'll have more in-depth um, on this game as the week continues. Uh, Eric and Jared will interview Jackson Moore for Thursday's game or for Thursday's podcast. We'll have a, um, a Friday Picks podcast up as well, and then we'll continue to cover the, the preview of this game on DuckTerritory.com, so make sure you check that out as well. But until our next podcast, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.